Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good morning. How many over eight at Thanksgiving? Anyone? Oh, only three or four of us. That tells us there's a lot of liars here. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Good to see everyone today. Thanks for your prayers while we were gone. It was uh, good, to, good to be away, but you know what it's like. It's always good to get back to your own house, your own bed, your own surroundings. And uh, we could watch you online too. And so uh, it was always... So we're here in spirit, though absent in body. I was encouraged to make a couple announcements that uh, we don't want to forget, because one pertains to next week. This is a literally public services announcement. Next week, it's one service, 10 o'clock. All right, what time? 10 o'clock. How many services? One. Good. I'm sure the second group will forget that, but you guys will remember, right? And you'll tell your friends. It's the Christmas uh, children's presentation. And so, you know, be sure to be out one service, 10 o'clock. Be early. You've got to be early to get a back seat. You know how it works. And, uh, and so be sure to, yeah, we'll have some extra chairs set up. It's always a big event. Also, Christmas Eve service will be the service for Christmas weekend. And so there, there is not a morning service that Sunday. And... January 1st is one service, 10 o'clock. So there's a lot of changes. So make sure you get these changes down. You know, we, we realize that the holiday actually falls on a Sunday this year. Happens every seven years. Shouldn't take us by surprise. And so, uh, like with, with January, someone's like, you're not putting it to one o'clock in case people aren't feeling good, are you? Really, it's got nothing to do with it. But you know what? When it's a holiday, it's a mental thing. And mentally, when we think of even like January 1st, um, you know, people check out just physically, mentally, emotionally. It's better just have the one service. We'll pack it in here. And so uh, so January 1st, 10 o'clock, one service. Next week, 10 o'clock, one service. Christmas Eve, one service. No service Sunday morning that week. <gasps> you mean you're just going to worship on the Sabbath day? Yes, we are. <laughs> It'll work. We're trying to find someone. If someone would like to uh, uh, be here, we're going to talk about unlocking. I'm always gone every year. I've always gone that uh, Christmas day. So, um, but we're talking about having it unlocked. So if someone wants to just come in, let some music playing, and uh, and so, anyways. But we need that someone. A lot of people are going to be gone for the holidays, and it's a lot of. We had no workers. No, a lot of people that are gone, um, whether for ministry downstairs or upstairs and so uh anyways mark your calendars make sure we got that down pat and uh we will survive right amen 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 i'm trying to figure out how to survive because my pulpit is moved back 16 inches further than it usually is so i'm like what am i gonna do it's already i'm like man there's there's a plate on the floor that's right in front of it, and usually this is in front of the plate, but now it's behind a plate, and so I, uh, the lights are out of whack, everything, these lights are off, I mean, it's really weird, people just run up on a platform anytime, I mean, it's really strange, and, uh, 
<laughs> well, I'm not sure why these are off, but anyways, life is weird, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> Tim, I dig that big old beard you're growing there. That's quite, quite the man mask, huh? That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Acts 13. I know you've been anxiously waiting. Man, I can't wait till we get to Acts, back to Acts. It's a long chapter, 52 verses. There's a verse for every uh, week of the year. But we won't take a week to cover a verse. We're going to cover a number of them today. Remember how the chapter started out? Uh, This chapter actually started out with what was known as uh, the first missionary journey. But we learned in the beginning of the chapter that it's not about missions like a separate category it's the mission the mission we are here to carry out the mission and the mission is after the holy spirit has come upon you you shall be witnesses to me both in jerusalem judea samaria and the uttermost parts of the world right actually it wasn't right i said parts plural it's parts singular in the text but that's another thing why because you can only be in one place at one time Right? But the most part of the world. Anyways, has nothing to do with what I'm saying. The mission is not the mission, separate category, it's the mission, which means every one of us are part of the mission. Now, some stayed in Antioch, there in north, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Others, Paul and Barnabas and company, left and went to Cyprus first, the beginning of the chapter. Uh, spent at least a month, because they had to travel 90-some miles across the island, uh, traveled across the island of Cyprus, got to uh, witness to the proconsul of the island. season there's a number that got saved and also Barnabas was of what tribe he's a Levite and as a Levite he would also dress accordingly and and his clothes would give it away so that was why uh, they were easily detected when they walked into a small synagogue in Gentile territory and when they came in sat down they read the law and the prophets and then immediately the chief priest asked them and said if you guys have any words of encouragement say on 
And they said, well, this is a great opportunity, which they knew would be afforded to them. And so they set on. And so they went on and essentially laid out the history of Israel. Uh, they re-preached Stephen's sermon that he preached in chapter 7. They uh, re-preached, if you will, Paul did, who was then Saul, who had Stephen executed. Now he takes his sermon notes and preaches them. And he goes through the history of Israel. And he explains that Jesus is the Messiah and he comes to bring salvation uh, to them and, and also to the Gentiles. And so he gets done preaching. Everything is finished. The service is about to let out. And that's when we get to verse 42. Okay, are we ready? We got all the background stuff. Christian calisthenics. Got that blood moving is good? All right, you're good? I don't want to, I know I can be insomniac sermons. I don't want to knock anyone out. All right, follow with me. Starting verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sunday. That's a preacher's dream. Or like, oh, preacher, what a great sermon. Preach it again next week. Isn't it interesting? They waited till the Jews left, which was the order the Jews would first leave, and the Gentiles who converted to Judaism, the God-fearers they were known, uh, would wait behind, they would leave, and then they would go in order. And so here, once the Jews left, the Gentiles were like, man, that was awesome. We need to hear that next week. So we come to verse 43. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes. The proselytes were Gentiles that converted to Judaism. And by the way, notice many of the Jews were part of this company. And devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. The word follow means to follow as a disciple. Just like John the Baptist said, those would follow and listen to his message. Uh, so they're following Paul and Barnabas, and they're there following like a disciple. They want to hear what they have to say. So you don't want to paint with a broad brush and say this is just Gentiles and the Jews were not part of it. No, there were many Jews at the time who said, wow, what you just said resonated with us as well, and they would follow as disciples. So they followed Paul and Barnabas, who... Speaking to them, notice, persuaded. Persuaded means to convince with words. It does not mean to convince against one's will. That would be coerce. But to convince with words. What, what was it? Was it Mark Twain that said a man convinced against his will is what? Of the same opinion still. Right? Remember that one? Use it all the time probably. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. In other words, he wasn't, they weren't coerced and it's like, okay, all right, I'll vote for that. No, they said, man, they, they, they bought into it. They believed they were persuaded. They changed their belief system and they changed how they viewed what was just said concerning Old Testament scripture. So when he persuaded them, it wasn't an arm twisting. It was not a, a coercion to believe and they weren't, um, Believing against their will. No, this was a willful choice that says, you know what? You might be right. You know what? You, your argument persuaded me, and now I have changed my opinion on what I've previously held. So these words are important, the words that they use here. And they persuaded them to what? Continue in the grace of God. We'll get back to that. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. Now, that, that I have a feeling they had to put up extra chairs that day. 
had a feeling they probably couldn't contain him in the synagogue. I had a feeling they probably had this outdoors and uh, in a place where they could hear quite well. And they would have uh, natural amphitheaters uh, in areas like this. As a matter of fact, in a very uh, mountainous and hilly territory like they were in, it was uh, quite natural to have a natural amphitheater. It wasn't unusual. And so they probably gathered there to, to hear these words. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw, so they came to hear, but the Jews came to see. And they saw the multitudes. They were filled. Now remember, that word filled means controlled by. Remember, I took an empty glove. I took a glove one time. And we were to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I put my hand in that glove, but I did not open my fingers in the glove. And so I, my hand was in the glove and had all the hand it was ever going to have. But the hand did not have all the glove that it was going to have. All right? The filling of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit gets all of us. Remember that illustration? You're like, you kidding, preacher? That was six months ago. That's it's the same idea. Something is taking complete control of them. And that something, we're told, is envy. And therefore, it says, and contradicting. Contradicting and blaspheming. They oppose the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary for the word of God should be spoken to you first. Who's the you? You Israelites. But since you Israelites rejected, not all of them, but the majority that are opposing him, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Notice, God didn't judge them unworthy. God says, hey, whosoever will may come. But they say, whosoever won't. We're not going to. We don't want this. So they put the judgment on themselves as unworthy of everlasting life. They then said, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Okay, if you don't want it, it came to you first, you don't want it, we'll offer it to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. So this wasn't just something they thought of and said, fine, we're mad. We don't, we don't like how you responded to us, so forget it. No. He says, this is what the Lord commanded us. I have set you, who's the you again? The you are the you Israelites, you Jews, as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Paul is not quoting a, a text from the Gospels. He's not quoting a text uh, in another part of the book of Acts or one of the epistles. He is quoting out of Isaiah 49, verse 6. He's quoting out of Old Testament Scripture. This is nothing new. This has been around for hundreds of years. This is something that they knew as Jews. They heard this before. They've read this before. Their scribes have transcribed this before. Their priests have covered this before. This is nothing new. However, it was something always ignored. Oftentimes, we don't have to be taught something. We have to be reminded of something, don't we? And we don't always like to be reminded of things that we ignore. Paul reaches back in Scripture, pulls out the Scripture... God have sent you, Israel, Jews, as a light to Gentiles, that you, Israelites, you Jews, should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. I gave you a job to do. I gave you a message. I gave you opportunity to get salvation to the Gentiles. 
Now a handful would become proselytes, would, would uh, convert to Judaism. But, but for the most part, they stayed in their holy huddle. They stayed in their little cloister. They stayed in their synagogues. And they just said, no, we're, we're all about this. And if you want to come to us, fine, but we're not going out to you. So now the message is going out. Now, when the Gentiles just heard what he just said to the Jews, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And they glorified the word of the Lord. They're like, are you kidding me? God had this planned all this time? He even said hundreds of years ago that it was for us also? Are you telling me that God wants to save us, Gentiles as we are? Man, they were, they were like stoked. They're like, this is awesome. Were the Jews stoked? No. They're like, this is not so awesome. As a matter of fact, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. The message goes to these Gentiles, they hear the word of God, they believe, they put their faith in that. And then it says, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So then they heard it, took it in, said, wow, this is awesome. I got to go tell somebody. And then they take off through the whole region. And we only had Paul, Barnabas, and company uh, so probably a handful. You could probably count on one thing, one hand, not one finger, one hand. How many went up to Antioch? But once they got to Antioch, Pisidia, do you see how many went out from there? You talk about exponential growth. That's why the scriptures will say God added to the church. And then as you go along, and God multiplied the believers. It goes from adding to multiplying. Exponential growth starts taking place. So now all the Gentiles are running around telling all the other Gentiles this great news. But the Jews weren't too happy. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up. The word means to incite. They stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the cities. They went to the politicians there in Antioch and the chief men of the cities and raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region which is now being evangelized by all these other people that you told the good news to. They're mad. You're out of here. But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. That's a, quite, a, quite a statement. Whenever the Jews would leave the Gentile lands and come back to Israel, as soon as they got to the border of Israel, they would wipe the dust off their feet. It stood as a reproach to the Gentiles and says, okay, we're done with you. It was a formal rejection. And it's like, we don't even want to be in contact with your land, with the dirt of your land. We'll be defiled. So lest we defile our country, we would stop and brush the dirt off our feet, and then we'll go in. And by the way, Jesus instructed the disciples in the gospel that when he sent 70 out, he said, if they will not hear you, Brush the dust off your feet. Because they're not rejecting you, now they're rejecting God. This is not a cultural thing between the Jews and Gentiles. This is a, this is a gospel thing between God and people. And when they reject the message of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, there's nothing left for them. And a matter of fact, he said, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it will be for those cities. Wow. Now there's a whole teaching on the levels of judgment, you know. We won't get into that today. Amen? Some of you look like, yeah, let's talk about judgment. <laughs> One of those days, huh? Verse 52. And the disciples, not just Paul and Barnabas, 
the disciples, plural, I would take that to include those disciples that were following Paul and Barnabas in Antioch. And the disciples were filled with joy. They were filled. The, the controlling factor in their life was joy and the Holy Spirit. All right? Father, bless your word. Bless our ears. Help us. Give us ears to hear that we might hear what the Spirit of God has to say. Fill me by your Spirit. Anoint me by your Spirit. And Lord, I know. I know in and of myself, what am I that you are mindful of me? I have nothing to offer, but you have something to offer. So help us. Help me. Speak to me. Speak through me, Lord, and hide me behind the cross that we will see Jesus today. Bless us, we ask, in that powerful name, above all names, Lord Jesus Christ. And we all said, Amen and Amen. My message today, and by the way, you're probably thinking, was it that your message? No, that was a rolling commentary. <laughs> My message today is kingdom advancement and adversaries. Kingdom advancement and adversaries. You know, we have quite a contrast when we come to this chapter between what happened on the island of Cyprus and what's happening in Antioch. As a matter of fact, when we think of this contrast, down in Cyprus, they spent all this time and they only saw one convert. And yet here they are in Antioch and they see multiple people coming to Christ. When you go to the island of Cyprus, you see a political leader, Sergius Paulus, who is open to the gospel. But when you come to Antioch, we have the political leaders that are hostile to the gospel. When you look at Cyprus, you have one adversary. Remember the sorcerer, the Jewish sorcerer that was in uh, Sergius Paul's council. There was one adversary there, the only one we're told of. But yet when you get to Antioch, now we have multiple adversaries. So what was done in a small way in Cyprus is now in a large way in Antioch. Whether it's those that are in favor of the gospel is much larger. Whether it's those who are adversaries to the gospel, now it's much larger. As the kingdom continues to advance, so also do its adversaries. As the kingdom grows, the adversaries grow. As those that, that are in favor of the gospel start saying, wow, this is great, then those that are opposed will say, wow, this is bad. And so when I look at this text, I realize that there are two common denominators, if you will. Kingdom advancement is always coupled with kingdom adversaries. The kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. This dichotomy still exists today. You cannot advance the kingdom without advancing in adversaries. You cannot expand the kingdom without your adversaries expanding, in other words. And if God is going to use us, use you, use me, use new life to expand his kingdom, then we must also be prepared to understand that adversaries will also expand, right? Those who will live God, godly Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, right? Now, that doesn't mean you go out and you live obnoxious. If you're obnoxious, you should be persecuted, right? Some people are obnoxious and say, well, I'm just being persecuted for righteousness. No, you're not. You're being persecuted because you're acting obnoxious. There's another word I almost used, starts with a J, but acting like an obnoxious person. <laughs> Christians wouldn't do that, would they? No, they can do that. Sometimes Christians can be the most obnoxious people. I've met. Bless their little hearts. 
<laughs> Good night alive. I remember somebody witnessing to me for, went on for 30, 40 minutes, convinced I was not saved. I'm like, dude, you do not know me before I was saved. And I, but he had a different doctrine, different belief system, and it just kept going on and on. And I wanted to apply that scripture verse, smite the scorner, and the simple will beware. But I thought, no, then that might prove his case. Have you ever felt? <laughs> I love those cool verses, don't you? They're like, no. But you, I don't, they're in Proverbs. They're always great ones in Proverbs. And you just can't use them our day and age. But the fact of the matter is, there is a dichotomy taking place. Kingdom advancement will have kingdom adversaries. And as one expands, so also the other will expand. And you and I play a role in that whether it's an active role or whether it's a passive role, we're still playing a role in it. We're still going to be part of that, that battle, that epic conflict between the, the powers of light and the powers of darkness. And the, the question is, are we just going to cower in a corner or are we going to be actively engaged in this battle? Now, when I look at this text, the lesson I learn is how you advance the kingdom is just as important, if not more important, than the advancement of the kingdom itself. So in other words, let me say it again. How you advance the kingdom is just as important as the kingdom advancement itself. In other words, not just about plowing through and advancing the kingdom, but how do you do it? How do you and I advance the kingdom? How do we engage the adversaries here? How do we uh, get involved and fulfill our role? In other words, how do we behave? How do we control our response? What are our motives? What's our position? What attitude should we take on? When Now, I understand, and I'm not getting into, we say, well, you advance the kingdom through prayer and fasting. I understand that part. Well, I'm going right down to the, the personal, everyday, nitty-gritty. How do you do it? How do you advance the kingdom? You see, in our text, there's two people groups here. These two people groups are diametrically opposed to each other. They, their belief system was diametrically opposed. Their control system was diametrically opposite. One group was filled with jealousy and envy and were very combative. One group was very uh, contradicting and blaspheming. While the other group, on the other hand, was filled with joy, not envy. Not bad feelings, they were filled with good feelings. They were not filled with a bad spirit, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And both of them uh, were in, in direct conflict. Both of them behaved, however, based on their belief system. Because how we believe dictates how we behave, right? If you believe one way, guess what? You're going to behave that way. If you don't like your behavior, change your belief system. If you don't like the way you've been acting, say, you know what? I, I need to start believing differently. Because how I believe dictates how I behave. And does that happen even today? Do you think your beliefs dictate your behavior? Oh, yeah. Take it out of the spiritual realm. Put it in the political realm. I don't know if you've ever noticed what's been going on out there the past month. Now, I'm not getting into a discussion on the kingdoms of this world. Amen? But the truth's the same in the sense that how they believe dictates how they're behaving. How you and I believe dictates how we behave. 
So when I think of this advancement of the kingdom, how do you advance the kingdom? What is it that you believe? And how does that dictate how you behave? To find an answer how we should do it and what we should believe, I went to John chapter 16 when I was considering this kingdom text. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Not 16, chapter 18, excuse me. John 18 and verse 33. Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Is this hearsay or your say? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Obviously, the answer is no. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If, that's a big if, my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, what? Fight. It literally means to be aggressive in a war fashion, or warlike fashion. They would take up arms and they would physically be at war with Rome so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. So if, if my kingdom was of this world, we would act like the world. However, but my kingdom is not from here. That's why we didn't act like the world. That's why we didn't, I didn't mount up a, an army. He said, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. Think about Christmas. He was born to be king. And for this cause have I come into the world. That's what I'm doing here. Why? That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I am a king, but the way I advance my kingdom is by bearing witness to the truth. And those that hear, my, hear the truth will hear my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? <laughs> Great question. And when he had said this, he went out, went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault at all in him. So we look here, Jesus is discussing kingdom advancement. Jesus is discussing his kingship with Pilate. And Pilate's like, well, if you're a king, you know, how did you get here? And he says, excuse me, my kingdom's not of this world. And because it's not of this world, we don't fight like this world fights. We don't advance the kingdom like the world advances it. He does not mount up an army and pummel his adversaries. He doesn't put out a mean post on Facebook against the Sanhedrin. He doesn't tweet mean things against the high priest. You say, well, they didn't even have it in those days. That's all right. He still he could have got the message out. He would get the message out with the, the heavens thundering, this is my son of God, or this is the son of God, right? He could get the message out. He could, he could have it broadcasted by the angels and start attacking, personally attacking the Sanhedrin or, or the high priests or the leaders of Israel. But he doesn't. Nor does he have his men mount up and take arms and go against uh, Rome or the Jews. 
But instead, Jesus advances his kingdom simply by proclaiming the truth. And he just kept going out back with the truth. And he just kept speaking the truth. And that we know the scripture says, speaking of Jesus, he, Jesus said, I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. And then he speaks his truth. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now let me ask something. Do you really believe that? I mean, now I know it's easy to say because they're all Christians here. But do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? That there is no other way? The, the Buddhists have it wrong. Shintoism, wrong. Taoism, wrong. Hinduism, wrong. Islam, wrong. Only Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Are you telling me that anyone outside of Jesus Christ uh, that, that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Savior, that they can't go to heaven? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's not what I'm telling you. That's what he's telling you. And Jesus never lies. Amen. God bless you. But do you really believe that Jesus is also the ultimate truth? He doesn't just say, I speak truth. He says, I am truth. I am truth. I am the embodiment of everything that is true. I am the opposite of everything that is false or a lie. I am truth. And therefore, anything that contradicts Jesus Christ, anything that contradicts the living word and the written word is a lie. I mean, do you really believe that if it's opposite of the word of God, that it is a lie? I mean, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that? Because let me tell you something, we're getting fed a lot of stuff out here that is contradicting the Word of God right here. And sometimes we don't know where to come out on this issue. Do you really believe that Jesus is the ultimate truth? And anything contradicting that, and contradicting Him, the living Word, the written Word, anything that contradicts it, God says, let God be true and every man a liar. Right? Do you really believe that he is the author of life? There is no life outside of Jesus. Everything else is death. Life is only contained in one person, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of light? And today that Jesus is advancing his kingdom? I I don't know. I mean... We really have to grapple this. We really have to come to a conclusion and say, wait, do I really, really believe it? Why are you pressing this, Tim? Because how you believe will dictate how you behave. If you do not believe this, you will kowtow to the lies. You will, you will bend and sway the way the wind of, any wind of doctrine takes you. You have to settle in your heart of hearts. Yes. I absolutely believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. And he said, no one gets to the Father but through him. Then yes, I've got to believe that unless a person accepts Jesus Christ, there's no way to get to heaven. No way to get to heaven outside of Jesus. 
You say, well, that's pretty hard to say because there's a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people out there. But broad is the way that leads to destruction and many that be that are on it. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And sadly to say, few that be that are on it. Is that true? Wow. That's a hard reality. When it comes to the truth, there's guys with doctor's degrees out there telling you this is how everything came into existence. It was the Big Bang. Probably was a Big Bang, but they don't know who said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. Right? I'm like, yeah, I believe in the Big Bang. I do. <laughs> and the Big Banger, God said, hey, universe, one sentence, someone spoke the sentence. And it was God. But modern science says, who cares about modern science? Listen, let God be true and every man a liar. Right? you gotta, you got to believe that. And there's a, boy, there's a whole plethora of other belief systems out there that are flying very contrary to the Word of God. What do you believe? Well, Jesus is advancing His kingdom. If you believe that He is the King, and He advances His kingdom not by mounting up an army at this time, He will return with the heavenly host. We will be part of that army someday. Amen? That'd be awesome. Any of you guys afraid of heights? Not to worry, you won't be then. You're afraid of horses? I don't like horses. I respect horses. But they could be punks, punks sometime. I remember I was hunting. I went to get on this horse, and just when I went to get on him, he moved. <laughs> and I swore he laughed. Jesus. But the point is, you and I. If we believe these things, then we must advance the same way the king does. By speaking truth. Speaking it boldly, but speaking it graciously. Speaking it with conviction, but speaking it with compassion. Speaking the truth in such a way that let the truth do its thing. You don't have to defend the truth. You just say, here's the truth. Do I understand all this stuff? No, I don't understand it all. But this is what God says. We need to be truth tellers. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, it answers a question for us. And the question is, who's a liar? It's always good to know, isn't it? He says, who's a liar? The liar, it says, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Right? He is the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Who is a liar? He who denies Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. So if you're ever wondering who you're talking to, you want to ask them, uh, let me tell, tell me what you believe about Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? And no one comes to the Father but by Him? Do you believe that He is the Messiah? Well, we don't believe all that. Well, then now you know you're talking to a liar. You say, well, that's pretty hard words. I didn't write it. Right? Who are you talking to? You see, when it comes to being a truth teller, we need to simply give the truth boldly, graciously, kindly, not browbeating, 
Not being obnoxious. Not being a holier-than-thou attitude. But to humbly say, thus saith the Lord. That's what God says on these subjects. The problem oftentimes is we don't know what God said. We don't know how to articulate it. But we don't know how to show it. And it doesn't mean you have to take courses in apologetics and be able to handle and the Word of God in, in a fashion like a theologian. But you should be able to defend what you believe by the Word of God. You should be able to say, this is why I believe and what I believe and here's why I believe it. Instead, what happens is when it comes to advancing the kingdom, we get sucked into the flesh battle. And we get sucked into the battle where we also say, well, I can't defend myself, so I'm going to fight this with fleshly attitudes. I am going to fight with a fleshly response. I'm going to fight with fleshly weapons. And I'm going to fight with in a fleshly manner. Paul and Barnabas in our text, from start to finish, fought the good fight of faith. But they fought it with truth. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And they just laid it out there. You don't see them getting obnoxious. You don't see them calling names. You don't see them inciting riots. They just spoke the truth. And when they did, that's why we see the converts. Verse 42 43 says they just get done laying the truth out to them. They just get done quoting Scripture. In the previous uh, verses, he, he quoted a number of Scriptures. When the Jews went out of the synagogue and Gentiles begged them that these words might be preached to them the next week. What was something was different to what they just heard. And the, what they just heard, this truth just resonated with them. And they said, man, we want that. We want it again next week. We want you to come back and, and just preach it one more time. And then, matter of fact, when they broke up, verse 43 said, many of the Jews and the devout proselytes, the God-fearers, the Gentiles, became disciples, followers of Paul and Barnabas. They would, so everyone broke up. They all went the same way. Paul and Barnabas were heading out to go to lunch somewhere. And they turned around and here's all these people following them. Hmm, what are you guys doing? We're following you. We want to hear you. And they continued to talk to them in such a way that they persuaded them, they convinced with words that they need to change their mental uh, belief system in one area and they need to change it to another area. And they said, you know what? We think you're right. We think we need to start thinking different. We think we need to start believing different. And they persuaded them. And notice what they persuaded them to do, to continue in the grace of God. In verse 48 it says that they were glad to glorify the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The truth was preached, and the lost were drawn to it. Some could not get enough of it and begged them for more. Why did they beg them to preach more? The answer is because grace is liberating. Truth is liberating. You see, friends, Jesus said in John 8.32, you know it well, you shall know the, what? Truth. And the truth shall make you free. I know our modern translations like to use the word set you free. I, I've said it before. It's very important that it, the truth will make you free. Why? Because I could break you out of jail and set you free. But the problem is you're still a fugitive of the law. When God saved you and I, using the truth of the Word of God, He doesn't just break us out of jail and say, okay, run. And keep running. 
We're not a, we're not in a fugitive in fear. Instead, He makes us a free person. He doesn't break us out of jail. He makes us free. How? By removing our sin and guilt and shame, putting it on His Son, taking His Son's holiness, and putting it on us. We have now been fully acquitted, not because there was not a lack of evidence. There was plenty of evidence to prove we're sinners, right? Point to anyone you think is a sinner. <laughs> That's right. That's why, you know, he has no sin, throw the first stone. And even the, even the bad guys knew that they were sinners. Like, oh, okay, well, I gotta go. Who knows what he was writing in, their, in the sand? Probably writing each of their sins. But yet, the fact is that when he saved us, he didn't just break us out of the devil's dungeon. He made us free. He made us free by the truth of his word that says all our sins and iniquities were placed on Jesus Christ and all his holiness was placed on us. Right? Second Corinthians 5.21 For he who knew no sin was made sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? Do you believe that God says that you are as righteous as he is? I was like, well, if you saw how I acted last week, you wouldn't believe it, right? But God, that's, that's truth. Well, how do you know it's truth? Because God said it's true. God said all of your sin from the cradle to the grave, all of it was placed in the sun. He paid the penalty, case closed, punishments meted out. And all of his holiness he put on you. And he put you in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? And that's why he speaks to them. And they start hearing this truth. Because people are not delivered by lies. People are ensnared by lies. And many of these lies you tell yourself. And I tell myself. But people are not liberated by lies. They're entrapped by lies. You're only delivered by truth. And sometimes the truth might be hard to hear. Anyone ever tell you the truth about something and you didn't like it? <laughs> and you know, they're saying, boy, you know, you're really being ornery today. I'm not being ornery. It's none of your business. Right? You speak the truth. But we don't always like the truth. That's why Scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend will tell you the truth. But it says, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Watch out. <laughs> There's plenty of Judases out there to give you the kiss and say, oh, my friend. Right? Everything's good. But a true friend is going to tell you the truth. A true friend is going to tell you you got something in your teeth. <laughs> true friend is going to tell you, man, your breath. I don't know. And you're going to say, oh, what kind of friend are you? True friend is going to tell you, hey, you shouldn't be acting that way when you really want to act that way. And you're mad at them because they spoke truth in your life. Hopefully they spoke it kindly and graciously. But speaking truth is the only thing that's going to deliver us. Speaking a lie will only snare us. And what truth were they being told? Continue in the grace of God. Continue. Not in the law of God, but in the grace of God. 
find it interesting that it said two things. One, he encouraged them, and two, he said continue. Continue means to abide with. It means to live with. I abide with my wife. We build a relationship together through life. We live life together. This is what the word continue means. It doesn't just simply mean stay at it. It means live life with this relationship with God. Live life with this relationship with grace. The favor God shows you based on nothing to do with you. That's grace. The favor God shows to you that has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with His Son. You mean I didn't have any role in that? No, you didn't. Jesus Christ did it all. Everything that God shows you and does for you and helps you and heals you and teaches you and ministers to you and blesses you is not because of you at all. It's all because of Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that? Oh, of course we do, preacher. Sure we do. You know why? Because sometimes we have to be like them. We have to be encouraged to continue to live in the realm of grace. And it's amazing that we have to be encouraged to keep doing that. Why? Because like them, we would slip back into law. We would slip back into trying to please God, trying to make God happy, trying to do things our own that will put a smile on His face or bring a blessing to our life or bring healing to our body. And we live under a performance-based relationship rather than a grace-based relationship. How come God's not blessing me? I've been faithful at church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been doing my devotions. I, I haven't even been speeding lately. <laughs> I've been doing all these things right. How come this, this has happened to me? And when we start thinking that somehow our performance uh, generates the blessings, how come I'm not healthy? Why am I sick here? And God must be mad at me. We believe the lack of performance brings uh, the smiting of God, if you will. Oh, I got a flat tire this morning. Man, I knew I should have done my devotions. <laughs> yeah. And subconsciously, somehow, we think that the things that God does in our behalf is because of things that we are doing to please Him. And yet he finds all his pleasure, not in my behavior, but in his son's behavior. And he sees me in his son. And he says, I bless you because of my son. I heal you because of my son. I help you because of what he did, not what you did. I am good to you, not because you are so good and deserve it, but because I am so good and I'm gracious. You see... You and I, we need to get a handle and a belief system on the same thing that advanced the kingdom then that will only advance the kingdom today. And that is God's grace in your life and my life. To continue in that truth. Listen, friends. When we advance the kingdom and we will face adversaries, if you are living under the law, you will misinterpret all those adversaries. You will think, you'll say, well, this is because I've done this or done that or haven't done this or haven't done that. And you'll be living under a law mentality. 
Instead of living under a grace mentality that says, you know, everything I have, everything I am, everything that God does on my behalf is all because of Jesus Christ and not because of me. And God is really gracious. And this battle is not mine. This battle is the Lord's battle. Right? And how I approach this battle has got to be the same way his son approached it. Simply by speaking truth. Not by being prideful or being arrogant. Not, not by thinking you have all the answers. Not by thinking you deserve God to come to your rescue. We don't deserve anything outside of Christ except hell, right? But we need to understand the truth that all because of Jesus Christ, God does it all. And God helps us. And God heals us. And God teaches us. And God raises us. And God protects us. And God's there for us. All because of what His Son has done. And we can rest in that assurance, right? If you're resting in your own goodness, in your own works, in your own, you know, you're, you're not continuing, you're not living and abiding in grace, you're living and abiding in law, then man, you'll be the most frustrated Christian that's out there. Interesting how their eyes lit up when they start hearing about grace. And by the way, all they had was the Old Testament. They didn't have any New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament and the truth. There was enough truth in the Old Testament to teach about the grace of God, and they got it. And they said, wow, man, that's God doing that to us? Yeah. His mercy will withhold the judgment we deserve. His grace will give us what we don't deserve. Aren't you glad for that? And the first thing he said to them, he said, guys, gals, keep living in that. Keep living in grace. Don't drift back to the law. Don't drift back to trying to please God. Don't drift back to trying to have a performance-based lifestyle. And when I say trying to please God, that's what I mean. That you're trying to perform to make God happy when He's already happy with you. Do you realize He absolutely loves you? Do you realize there's nothing you can do to make Him any more happy in you than He already is? Do you realize He never got up on the wrong side of the bed? When it comes to you, he never get up and go, oh yeah, I remember that guy yesterday. He goes, no. Every day his mercies are new every morning, right? Withhold the judgment we deserve, and his grace keeps pouring it out. He goes, man, you are my child. You are a prince or a princess of the Most High God. You are. You're a princess, and you're a prince of the Most High God. That's awesome stuff. Like, now, that doesn't give us room to go, that's pretty good stuff. No, that gives us room to do what they did. Be joyful, glad, and glorify God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We're going to leave it there. I had a lot more to cover when I get to the bad guys. We'll talk about that later. But let's camp out on that grace. God bless you. Father, Thank you. Thank you that the grace of God has appeared to all men. Salvation has appeared. The mercy has appeared. Everyone is, we that sit in your grace are so prone to slip back into the law. So prone to slip back into performance. Help us, Lord, in our lives to realize that we are forever forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Forever forgiven. 
Help us to realize that we have everlasting life, eternal life today. Not tomorrow, not ne- today. We have it and it will last forever. Help us, Lord, to realize that this battle that we're in and the advancement of the kingdom is not predicated on our actions. It's all based on what Jesus Christ has done. Help us to fight the good fight of faith the same way he did. For this cause he came, that he might speak truth into this world. Help us to be truth speakers. Help us to be grace livers. Help us, Lord, to go through life, through this battle, and not fight it like the world fights it. But, Lord, check our own life, our own attitudes, our own actions, and realign ourselves the way you want us to do it. And we'll bless you in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen, Amen. Stand with me as we close. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you today. Maybe today you need His healing touch. Ministry team's coming, and when they come, they're, they're coming to pray for you. You need healing. Come. Let us heal. Let us pray for your healing. God is a gracious God. You've been beating yourself up lately because of your sin and things you shouldn't have done or should do. Stop beating yourself up. Jesus took all the pleasure. You come. Just whatever that means, you come. You come. Need prayer today. Let us pray. Folks are coming. To the vow, I mean, someone to pray for you. Someone up here to the, 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 the